Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. In today's episode, I'll be covering the third episode of House of the Dragon, Season 1, Second of His Name. Sorry about the delay in getting these episodes out. It has been a holiday weekend and just some personal things as well. Just a very busy weekend for me with my family. So here is my opinion of this very good, I would say, episode of the show. This is the type of episode that I loved the most in Game of Thrones. Something I think they've been struggling to get right so far on this show. And just the first two episodes, obviously, very early in the going. But this politicking, the personal stakes of the politics of the characters of the show. I very much enjoy this. Or I should say, I very much enjoyed three quarters of it. It's very much in line with what I was describing. We also get some action sequences, which I like as well. But maybe I would have preferred to see them explained a little bit better and in a separate episode, let's say. Nonetheless, overall, this is the strongest of the three episodes we've seen. The action is solid. And of course, the interpersonal politics and the kingdom politics, all very strong here. Performances excellent across the board. So let me start breaking it down. Before that, just a reminder that we will still be covering The Patient this week. I haven't even watched the show yet, although it is available right now. Episode three. Curious to see how that show continues. And in that same episode, since it's such a short show to cover... I'll probably be looking at discussing some other recent, somewhat recent within the past few years, thrillers that are currently available to stream or available again. Just actually films that I had recommended to my co-host Sona in the past, and she's finally gotten around to seeing some of them. So we'll have that conversation coming later this week. Probably, I'm guessing here, Thursday maybe, (laughs) by the time we get caught up on my backlog of work and catching up on my watching as well. Lastly, I want to mention that I was planning to cover the Lord of the Rings series. I will be giving you probably mini reviews throughout the course of the season of that show, but I have to be honest right now, I watched the first two episodes and I really, really struggled to get into that show. But I will be checking in just out of curiosity, Amazon's making a massive five-season commitment to this show. So I do want to at least give this a shot for at least part of the season. But so far, not engaging with the material. But I'll give you a clarification of my thoughts maybe next week's episode in this same space. I would be honored to take the Princess Renera to wife, Your Grace. What I offer you, the crown and your daughter... Strength. Do you think that Haas Targaryen wants for strength? If someone offered you more dragons, would you not take them? Do you have dragons to offer? Castle Rock is a splendid seat. Rhaenyra may take her place there by my side without shame and feel herself well compensated for her loss in station. What loss of station? If you were to name young Aegon heir, Your Grace. And when would I be doing that? I had assumed, as he's your firstborn son, many of us had assumed... Many of us, you say? Have your bannermen questioned my choice of heir? Of course not, Your Grace. It is your sworn duty to report rebellion stirring in my kingdom. Rebellion? There has been nothing of the sort, Your Grace. I, 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 I did only... not decide to name Rhaenyra my heir on a whim. All the lords of the kingdom would do well to remember that. Thank you for the gift. Okay, so into House of the Dragon. This episode is called Second of His Name. Very interesting that this is what it's called, and I'll get into that later. Greg Yatanes, once again, directing. 
And for an episode that dwells mostly on these political conversations, we don't open there and we don't close there either. We start on a beach. A striking visual here of this fleet burning Prince Drahar, the crab feeder. His army has destroyed this fleet of ships. And we see him here again, never speaking yet again. He has a horrible skin condition, as we've noticed in previous episodes. Is this grayscale, by the way, just because this is Game of Thrones after all? So if you guys know, drop me a line. Need some introduction at gmail.com. I mean, he's not gray, but grayscale, maybe. And interestingly, here in the opening segment, we see, once again, a reminder that dragons are not scalpels. <laughs> they are sledgehammers, because as this latest victim of the crab feeder is being crucified to a post here, a dragon arrives. And he calls out, oh, my sweet prince, you've come, rescue me. And of course, he gets immediately squished by the dragon stomping down the beach. A darkly comedic moment there. And for a moment, looks like he has an advantage here, but he hasn't seated the high ground once again, guys. He obviously hasn't checked out Top Gun Maverick this summer. You got to be careful when they can shoot below the ridgeline. They do learn that lesson by the end of the episode, however. Spoiler. He's chased off. He even takes an arrow and the crab feeder and his troops recede into the mountain. Surprising that it's so easy to hide here within these stepstones, as they're called, in the islands. And honestly, it's a little surprising that they can't be winning this war at this point, even though I guess for convenience of the plot, they have to define it this way. Because theoretically, the threat of the dragon could minimally just keep them inside the mountain, which of course, I mean, they can hold up for just so long. As they're holed up, they have limited damage that they can be doing. But regardless of what my analysis of the moment is, it does appear that they are actually losing. And they need Viserys and the kingdom to intercede. But Viserys, once again, is distracted. Distracted by yet another party. We have now jumped ahead three years, practically, in the course of the show. A lot of things have happened in the meantime. Viserys has been married to Alicent. They've had a son. And here we are in his second birthday. Viserys does not want to talk politics. This is supposed to be Dave's celebration. And he is very annoyed that the princess, Rhaenyra, is nowhere to be found. Interestingly, you'll notice that he's lost two of his fingers. So <laughs> the treatments of the toxic throne, slowly eating away his body, maggot treatment has not worked. And we'll see how much more of him we lose <laughs> over the course of the show. And a lot of what happens here, interestingly, is all this concern over marrying Rhaenyra off. We meet Tylan Lannister, one of the possible suitors for her hand. Rhaenyra's just chilling, reading ignoring the festivities, listening to the same song over and over and over again. You know what? Teenage girls love to do that. They love to listen to the same songs over and over again. can drive you a little crazy. <laughs> Even Alicent is kind of fed up with this. I do think that Alicent has a really strong episode here. I think the strongest performer here in this episode is really Patty Constantine playing Viserys. But Alicent proves herself to be a really interesting character. And maybe that's a way to kind of look at this breakdown this week is to think about what the trajectory of each one of these characters in the context of the show is. And in that regard, Alicent is the most fascinating character specifically here. She has this real compassion for Rhaenyra. She wants to patch things up. She is proud of having this son. And you could read this as maybe she's conniving. Maybe this is all an act. But when talking to her father about potentially convincing Viserys to make sure to deign the firstborn son as the next heir, she basically throws it in his face to say, what lesson would I be teaching him to take something away from his sister? So she's a very interesting character. She seems to be the glue. She's protecting Viserys, but she's giving him good counsel, but she's also patching things up between him and Rhaenyra. She's trying to guide him into being a stronger 
king while still maintaining a good relationship with his family. In other words, she's actually a good person using her power in a good way. <laughs> in Game of Thrones, I'm not sure if that really gets you anywhere, though. So I do worry about her future, although she'll definitely be around for some amount of time because they're about to age her up. They have a new actress coming in to play this role in the next couple episodes. As we do another time jump here, probably w significantly beyond three years in the next episode or two. Even more fascinating to the politicking that we see here from Alicent is what's going on with Viserys. He's angry at Rhaenyra for not trusting that he's going to protect her stake as the next leader. But he right here in this episode is extremely conflicted, extremely conflicted. He multiple times mentions how he worries that he's made the wrong choice. What does that mean? Was it the wrong choice to uh, force Emma to have a son and kill her? Was it wanting to have this son so badly that now he's alienated himself from his daughter? Was it not waiting for the son and in announcing preemptively, maybe too soon, that the daughter would be the next leader? So he's second guessing himself constantly and actually very problematically, I think. At one point, he is just frustrated, frustrated by the fact that he can't make a decision that makes everyone happy, which of course is the road to ruin as a leader. I mean, you can never make everybody happy all the time. And as a leader, you have to have the courage of your convictions. Now, throughout the episode, we just see, I mean, this is what Game of Thrones used to do just so incredibly well. I made multiple jokes last week about the fact that if you take shots every single time they have a small council meeting in that episode, you would have been wasted by the end, end of that episode. But they have vastly improved things this week by having this hunt slash celebration of Aegon's birth and by having this feast, this boar hunt, it allows so many things to happen. It allows to have all these different characters, having all the, this, these different conversations, having all these different reactions to these folks without having to contrive these coincidental meetings within the castle. And it allows us to see characters define themselves by their actions. So some of the actions we see here, first of all, we find this really great moment where we see what is driving this inner conflict. We have not been able to put our fingers on up until this point. What are Varys's motivations? Why he, is he so conflicted? Why is he just so weak in appearance anyway? And this is a truly revelatory moment for his character. We find out that he has hinted at this already, that there is this vision that he's had of this son being born. And not only is it just that he wanted to have a son, but now we discover that he is not a dragon rider, not a dragon rider, but if he had had this vision and he had proof that he was a seer, basically, that then he would still have some merit, some stakehold as a Targaryen. Many in my line been dragon riders. Very few among us have been dreamers. What is the power of a dragon? It's the power of prophecy. The hour is too late, husband. When Rhaenyra was a child, I saw it in a dream. As vivid as these flames, I saw it. A male babe, born to me, wearing the conqueror's crown. I so wanted it to be true, to be a dreamer myself. I sought that vision again, night after night. But it never came again. I poured all my thought and will into it. My obsession killed Rhaenyra's mother. Viserys. I thought Rhaenyra was the way out of my abyss. 
of grief and regret. But naming her heir would begin to set things right. Oh, it did. I never imagined I would remarry. And I would have a son. What if I was wrong? Not as a dragon rider, but as a seer of visions. And until this vision came true, he really couldn't define himself. Like, what was he? Not a dragon rider, and yet not a seer either. He really struggled to see his value in the context of his culture. So this is really fascinating to see or to understand now more deeply what has been tormenting him here. And of course, tormenting him still, because if his daughter does indeed become queen and not his son, then that means that his vision is still a false vision. And as a Targaryen, he still does not know what his role is. And then when there's the word that the white stag has been discovered and they try to hunt him down, he once again sees this as an omen, a sign that his decision-making is getting some kind of approval from the gods or from the fates. And then the cruel irony of it when it turns out that he just find a large brown stag, which is good enough. And then he has to ceremonially kill it with a special spear. And of course he gets it wrong the first time. So once again, even if just as a metaphor for potentially his decision-making, he has to get it wrong multiple times before he gets it right. And once again, just want to call out what a great performance Patty Constantine is doing here, struggling through all of this self-doubt and his need to make everyone happy and the impossibility of that chore. Juxtaposed with this ironically cruel hunt of this stag, which is basically held in place while he has to kill it, we see once again something that's been illustrated multiple times on the show, the juxtaposition of Renera as a leader and her dad. She's run off with a horse and her knight follows her, Kristen, and there seems to be a little something, something going on between these two, but he is a knight, which means that he has to take a vow of chastity, although he does inform her that he did have his uh, adventures in his youth, but maybe that will make this a little more difficult if it is going to be a love match. And I'll go, get into that because there are quite a few different attempted love matches for Renera here. But after Renera runs off and is camping that night, she's attacked by a boar. He injures the boar, but does not kill it. But it is the princess who finally does kill the boar. And this is definitely some kind of baptism for her. And I do think we see a moment here where she is pivoting into maybe coming into her own as a leader as well. And importantly, as I mentioned the stag before, the symbol of the stag, we see the stag, we see the white stag, it turns. And of course, if we are to read that the stag is symbolic of something, it does not appear to her father, it appears to her. And more importantly, differentiate her once again. She tells Kristen not to kill it, not to strike it down with an arrow, but lets it escape instead. So we see that she's willing to take action when necessary, but she's much more cool-headed in her decision-making. She doesn't see violence necessary for violence's sake. And she shows up at the camp the next day with her boar, everybody looking at her, very curious, and with the blood spatter very stylishly, kind of her face is clean, but kind of splattered up from her neck. <laughs> So very stylishly placed blood here. And once again, kind of symbolic of her evolving character. And back to those possible suitors. This is actually one of the maybe most comedic aspects of this. And also very interesting when you think about what is she going to do? This is a big theme in this episode, by the way. She's been hiding out, doesn't want to confront her dad. Her dad basically says, no one is above getting married and having a family. Not even I. He has this yelling match in public. I do see him 
loses cool multiple times here in public. And I do wonder if that infection that started in his fingers is now potentially driving him mad. This may be just the beginning of a turn for him. But some of these matches that he is <laughs> mentioned over the course of this, he has once again, Lionel Strong giving some very good advice. I mentioned last week that he had proposed a pretty good match for the king himself. And now pretty much the same match once again. Why not marry into the richest family? You know who would be a good match? Laenor Valerian. Once again, bind yourself to the Valerians. They have wealth. They control the seas. And they have some animosity. They feel they need a path to power. And hey, this would give them a path to power. Not a bad match. Once again, pretty sharp. And Viserys, when he's a little more cooled down, does indeed make this comment to Rhaenyra. But other possible matches here, we see a new Lannister, Jason Lannister, making a play for the princess. Of course, it turns out they've been talking behind her back, making this potential match with the Lannisters. She's not happy about this. She thinks Jason's a little pompous. <laughs> but the best, maybe most comedic match here is suggested by Otto himself to marry the princess to the prince. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there is another choice beyond Casterly Rock. One perhaps you might be more comfortable with one closer to home. Who do you have in mind? Prince Egon. Boy just turned two, Otto. Yes, but it would cease the endless proposals for Rhaenyra's hand. <laughs> Prince Rhaenyra should marry the three-year-old, two-year-old, I guess. But he will mature. <laughs> pretty, pretty hilarious. <laughs> We've seen that there is, that uh, incest is not a problem among the Targaryens here in the course of this show. But this is a little too close. Uh, pretty hilarious. And and Viserys's reaction to this too, very, very funny. And I've given you like a very brief thumbnail of these interactions in this show. But I mean, really, this episode is really one that's worth rewatching. So many of these little interactions are so priceless, whether it is one of the ladies speaking in Princess Rhaenyra's presence, just to badmouth the king and how he has to intervene in the war that her uncle has started. And the princess's reaction is just priceless. So many little details, but just even just this younger, strong brother who has a lame leg, but seems to be listening in and paying attention and maybe will be more of a political player in future episodes. I just feel like they are just introducing all these little side characters. They all have these little great little moments and they're all going to be developed over the course of the show. And it really just excites me that I think the show is going in a interesting direction. On the negative side, I would say that the rather spectacular finale of this show, this action-packed finale, really does feel like fan fiction or fan service minimally. And I understand you have to keep people engaged. So hey, throw a little action in there as well. I'm fine. By the way, I enjoyed this sequence. I just also feel that it is just a little bit of giving people who are maybe impatient to see these characters developed a little bit of red meat. And I do worry about having these kind of dual loyalties in creating this show. Even though I think, once again, the balance is at this moment to the talkier, more political side of the show, which is what I prefer. Not that I don't love those shocking plot twists, but I just like to be vested in the characters before the shocking plot twists come. All that being said, we get to the end of the show. Viserys, I haven't mentioned it earlier, but from Council, partially from Alicent, 
she gives him some pretty good advice saying that, regardless of all the other things, is it better or worse that the crab feeder is out there? Well, Corliss and Prince Damon are losing their war. Badly, by all accounts. This is a plea for aid. Then why not send it? Because it is a war started by two malcontents, unhappy with decisions I made. If I now provide Damon and Corliss sugar, what will that say of their king? Perhaps that he is a good man who loves his brother. Well, if you truly believe that, my dear, then you possess a generous spirit. What do you believe, Viserys? That I am forever doomed to anger one person in the pleasing of another. Then I pose a simpler question. Is it better for the realm if the crab feeder thrives or is vanquished? And this seems to be the thing that finally convinces him to intervene. Sends a letter, a raven, <laughs> sends a letter off to his brother. Backup is on the way. To which, speaking of leadership skills here, or different styles of leadership, Damon decides to go it alone. They need a big piece of bait to get those crabs out of their caves. So he shows up at the island, puts down a sword, puts up a white flag. What are the protocols of war here? <laughs> I guess it doesn't really matter at this point. And just as they cautiously approach, even the crab feeder himself emerges from the cave. But of course, considering possibly a sign of things to come, let's not forget that Lord Lionel's strong counsel that Laenor Valerian would be a good match for Rhaenyra. At the final moment where it seems like Daemon is going to go on a suicide run and all the archers from above, once again, you gotta clear those archers first, everybody, which they figure out this time around. And just when it looks like all hope is lost for Damon, Laner shows up on a dragon. So once again, pretty good match, I think, for Rhaenyra here. Another dragon rider. He's a Valerian, also a Targaryen. He's even a dragon rider. They have that in common. I think it's a pretty good match. We'll see how that pans out. But with the assistance of Laner on Dragonback, they exterminate most of the crabs. And Damon goes into that cave, tracks down the crab feeder himself slices him in half <laughs> and drags him out pretty gri grisly here imagery here of dragging him out disembowel his, his intestines trailing behind him his entrails trailing and now i gotta rewatch the episode was he holding his hand as he dragged him out because if that's grayscale can he give himself grayscale that way don't know the rules of grace grayscale if anybody knows drop me an email at need some introduction at gmail.com and is this grayscale it's not gray right the gray men they're supposed to turn gray I don't know. If you guys know, let me know. It doesn't look gray, but it does seem to be, unless there's some other crazy skin condition that's similar on this show, it does seem to be grayscale. And does that mean that Damon's going to start getting grayscale in the next episode? Or when we, especially if we jump forward in time? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? And that's where we leave things for the episode. Once again, I thought this was a truly excellent episode, especially the parts that deal with setting up this future dynamic for who will be the next king or queen protecting this familial claim to the throne and who will be the immediate leader, the next immediate leader now that there is this firstborn son. But really it wouldn't work if it wasn't, if it wasn't for these great performances specifically from Patty Constantine here as Viserys and really all the main players. So this is why you get great actors to be able to add all this nuance to what you're seeing there and to make someone who could be just an annoying weak leader into someone who you really have a lot of compassion for when you understand 
their perspective. That being said, I think he's probably going to go nuts in the next couple episodes. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. I have not read, once again, the original text, so I'm sure somebody out there knows. So very interesting the things they're setting up here, and I can't wait to see how they play out. Here we have Damon, for example, losing the confidence of his men, then receiving this note from his brother that reinforcements are coming, and yet rejecting that help and trying to go it alone on what at first looks like a suicide mission. And once again, looking at qualities of leadership, showing the type of leader he would probably be, the type of king he would be, aka not a great leader <laughs> or a rash leader minimally. And it works out. So is this going to embolden him if he's going to make some play for power? Viserys, his health and his mind possibly continuing to erode. And of course, Viserys does end things on a good note with his daughter, telling her that A, he did doubt his choice of her as the next leader, but no longer the case. We'll see if he actually holds to that. But queen or not, she would need to marry. And who will that be? We see some candidates here. She does seem to be building some chemistry with her knight, which would be verboten. But a good match with this Valerian prince, or will it be her baby brother? <laughs> I'm pretty skeptical of that one. And there's others in the mix here as well. The Lannister, for example. All these characters will definitely continue to matter in the show. Which one of them will be her match remains to be seen. And at least at this moment, it does seem like she will get to make that choice by herself. But we will see how healthy the king stays for how long and whether she might be forced into making a decision as far as marrying to shore up her claim for the throne. It is true that as rulers, we must marry for advantage to forge alliances and bolster our strength. You have always understood this. I myself was promised to your mother when I was ten, ten and seven years of age. The Vale had an army to rival the North. I've heard that story since I've had ears too. I loved her. She made a man of me. I do not seek to replace you, child. You've been much alone these last few years. Alone and angry. I will not live forever. I wish to see you contented, happy even. You think a man would do it? A family. I had a family. What would you have me do? If it was for advantage, you would have wed Lena Valarian. That is true enough. You must marry. Strengthen your own claim. Shore up your succession. Multiply. As to your match, make it yourself. Search him out. Find one that pleases you, as I did. All right, so that is my relatively brief recap of the episode. I was a big fan, and I will definitely be catching up with Celia later in the week and probably get her reaction to the episode as well in our subsequent episode, the next episode, which will be out in a couple of days. I will hopefully be able to publish this by... Tuesday night. I'm recording it Tuesday and maybe can get this published tonight. If not tomorrow morning, I hope. And then maybe Thursday or maybe even Friday, I might delay it a little bit. Check out our coverage of the episode, The Patient, as well as my conversation with my sister dealing with her reaction to this episode, as well as some talk about some recent, somewhat recent thrillers. So stay tuned for all of that. Make sure you subscribe so you know when those episodes become available and I'll talk to you soon.